postpartum depression to me is the disconnect you have with your baby. When my son was four months old, and I remember breastfeeding him, but he wouldn't stop crying. And I got face to face with him, and I screamed, stop crying. That was probably the moment I realized I needed help. I thought after that moment, I just need to hold my baby. I don't ever want this to happen again. And something has to change. Hey everyone, it's your girl Jay Rose and welcome to another important episode of Sisters right here on Be More Radio. So today we want to take a more serious note this time around and talk about an issue that affects all mothers, but especially young mothers, mothers of color, black women, and that is postpartum depression. And so for those who are unfamiliar about what postpartum depression is, it's a medical condition that many women experience after having a baby, which involves strong feelings of sadness, anxiety that make it hard for a mom to take care of her kids. And as a mom of two myself, I can tell you that having those long bits of depression when I had my first child at 19 years old, it took a toll on me mentally. And it's something that I really am passionate about. And I really want to be able to, you know, spread awareness to other mothers that they're not alone. And it just to be able to just get over that hump, because having a new baby is supposed to be a, a joyous time, a, a happy time, but it's not always that way for everyone right after giving birth. And so um, it's important to be able to highlight our sisters that may be struggling with that as well. And so um, with that, I want to go into just a brief video real quick, explaining some of the symptoms and causes of postpartum depression. And then after a brief uh, break, we will be right back here at Sisters on Be More Radio. Keep it locked. Many women have the baby blues after childbirth. If you have the baby blues, you may have mood swings, feel sad, anxious or overwhelmed, have crying spells, lose your appetite, or have trouble sleeping. The baby blues most often go away within a few days or a week. The symptoms are not severe and do not need treatment. The symptoms of postpartum depression last longer and are more severe. You may also feel hopeless and worthless and lose interest in the baby. You may have thoughts of hurting yourself or the baby. Very rarely, new mothers develop something even more serious. They may have hallucinations or try to hurt themselves or the baby. They need to get treatment right away, often in the hospital. Postpartum depression can begin anytime within the first year after childbirth. The cause is unknown. Hormonal and physical changes after birth and the stress of caring for a new baby may play a role. Women who have had depression are at higher risk. If you think you have postpartum depression, tell your healthcare provider. Medicines, including antidepressants and talk therapy can help you get well. Hi, we're, we're the Sanders, and we're the proud owners of Our Hour Mobile Paint Party. With 28 years of painting experience, we provide family-friendly social painting events for all ages. And if you're a collector, you can get your next conversational art piece by visiting OurHourForYou.com. Or call us at 313-757-3022. Hey y'all, welcome back to Sisters right here on Be More Radio. And today we are dedicating today's show to the topic of postpartum depression and how it affects our young mothers, our young and old mothers and black women in particular. And so I am really excited about our first guest today is a very well-respected physician in the Detroit area who knows all too well about the struggles that sisters face post baby delivery. So let's give a warm sisters welcome to Dr. Danielle Daniel. Hi, doctor. How are you? Hi, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you for being with us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for the invitation. Of course, of course. So how, how are you? How, how's it going? It's busy, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Doc, doctor's <laughs> life is always, it never ends. I can only imagine. <laughs> And so, yeah. And so I, I, I'm aware that you're a mom as well, too. And yes. So 
Yes, so we can definitely have a mom conversation here. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, I, I'm a mom of two myself. I have a 10-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. And so oh, wow. I have experienced, you know, different hormonal changes with with both of my kids. And so I, it was kind of more severe with the first one because it was my first time than the second time. And so I know that a lot of women experience those hormonal changes in the weeks and months after giving birth. And so most people are familiar with the term postpartum depression, but they may not be familiar with kind of how that happens. And so uh, can you, at least if from a scientific ex explanation, maybe go into how that happens in a woman's body as far as the chemical balance and things of that nature? Well, the belief regarding depression is that there is a hormonal imbalance already that has to do with uh, neurochemicals in our brain, such as serotonin, and in some people, um, dopamine. So, um, you know, treatment has uh, centered around those two hormones mostly. Uh, and so when you add the hormones that the hormone fluctuations that we have in regards to pregnancy and the change in that, and then outside stress, I think all of those kind of come together. Um, you know, the women that are most susceptible are those who already have conditions of depression or some psychiatric um, disease um, that more than likely is not necessarily treated. And then we all know that we can't necessarily control the outside things that are going on, such as, you know, financial uh, health wise, right? Because every pregnancy is not smooth. Um, you know, they come may come with some challenges and um, then that only adds to uh, our ability to kind of adjust to to what is happening. Um, I like that. As far as it's, it's more than just one factor that contributes to that. And I definitely, also, yeah. And I also understand that there are different uh, severities, if you will, of postpartum disorder, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, which include postpartum blues, postpartum depression, and postpartum psychosis. And I thought it was kind of all just one thing. And so I was learning something new and reading all of this. And so can you explain some of the differences between them? And what are some of the symptoms in the severity of, of each of those? So I'm bringing, I, I'm using as a comparison depression, because that is uh, what, what we're able to gather from that, that is how we're able to treat this. So um, with depression, there's stages, right? And so the baby blues that you're calling it, meaning you may have some symptoms of sadness or withdrawal um, where you don't want to be around people or you're not eating or you're eating too much, right? These are the symptoms of depression. But if they don't last the amount of time that we think is clinically significant, then that would f fall into kind of like the baby blues, which is kind of an adjustment disorder. That is, you know, if your house burns down, you're going to have some blues related to that. If you lose your job, there are going to be some temporary, perhaps, um, symptoms that you face as a result of this uh, adjustment that you have to make in your life. Death is another uh, you know, losing someone, you would have the same kind of reaction. So uh, the second stage or severity, I would call it. What what did you call the second stage? I'm sorry. <laughs> it was it was basically, I think it was called postpartum. Okay. Okay. So then that would be the actual diagnosis yeah. mm -hmm. of, of depression. So uh for baby blues, that would be more of a dysthymic state. That just means I'm having some issues, but I don't have depression yet. So similarly, when you get postpartum depression, you have the diagnosis because for six weeks or more, you've had these consistent symptoms. And there's a scale that we use that you can find it in the DSM-5. That's what psychiatrists use to kind of come up with our scales. Um, and I think as a society, we're trying to get better, or I should say as a healthcare, uh, you know, force, we're trying to get better at 
recognizing those symptoms by mm, scaling down the questions, but kind of making sure we're opening up the discussion so patients feel comfortable talking about the adjustments that are going on in their lives. And I think the last one that you uh, mentioned was a psychosis, was postpartum psychosis. Right. So similarly, uh, what happens in psychosis is uh, it goes to a whole nother level. Okay. And so you may start to hear voices. Um, you may, uh, so, you know, that means hear, see, you may see things that are not there. And that's when we get concerned about the baby's safety, right? Because then if you're not in reality, what's happening with this little person that you're in charge of, you know? Exactly. Uh, so you can have those kind of uh, symptoms that remind you of schizophrenics. I mean, we all have been on the streets of Detroit and seen people who clearly have a psychiatric illness, but not necessarily being treated for it. Uh, you know, yelling at people you can't see or having a conversation with you about something you're not familiar with what they're talking about. So those kind of symptoms where people get admitted to the hospital because they're a danger to themselves. Makes sense. And I'm glad you're able to distinguish the differences because it, it leads me to think that there that there's a lot of time, a lot of that time, especially in, in our community, it can be difficult for a sister to be able to voice that or to admit mm -hmm. or recognize that there are that they are depressed after having a baby. Why do you think that is? And how can we be able to make that a more inviting environment to be vulnerable about that? Well, I think part of it is expectations, right? If the people around you are expecting to keep it together because it's this thing has got to work the way that it is, <laughs> then it doesn't invite you to be truthful or vulnerable about what's, you know, what you actually feel. So I think a lot of us walk around even as mothers, hey, I need some help, but I, I don't know that I can do anything about this. So we keep it inside. And so that can be dangerous. So I think it depends on the village that you have surrounding you. Uh, you know, and if you're able to trust those people with this kind of information, those people definitely have a healthier situation because they have people that they can call and say, hey, I need relief, you know, <laughs> or um, yeah. So I, I think I answered your question. I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. And that was and that's really been the thing that I've been thinking about the most is that how can we be able to create that environment to where it's not. Um, weak or whatever you want to call it, you know, less than to be able to admit that you're having these feelings and that it's that it's not anything wrong with you. That that's a sometimes that happens. And right. So, and I know you mentioned risk factors in particular, and I did want to go back over that. Are okay. there any particular risk factors outside of, of course, the the chemical imbalance side of things that can put certain women in an even more vulnerable position to suffer from postpartum depression? Well, I mean, when you think of, um, so one of the things that I uh, mentioned was uh, prior diagnosis of uh, psychiatric illness. So if one mom has already had a baby and she had those kind of imbalances during uh, her postpartum or antepartum or with the pregnancy, more than likely, uh, she's more susceptible. It's similar to what happens with uh, diabetes, for instance. So if you've had it with one kid, you're more susceptible with every kid that follows. So, um, so I would say that. I would also say just your disease not being mm, controlled or uh, treated properly. Uh, you know, in the Black community, uh, getting counseling is not is a luxury and um, it hasn't been supported I would say in general you know we think that if we have to go see a counselor then something's really wrong with us and so I think as a as a people we don't necessarily value that kind of input or talk therapy I don't think we see a role for it or have felt like we can depend on it and that may also be because of, you know, the coverages uh, of our insurance, not being able to be supportive in that way. And it's a luxury because I have to pay for it in order to uh, 
get that kind of help. Um, and then the outside forces is what I would say. Uh, you know, what's going on with your job? When are you coming back to work? Are you having um, issues where, with the pregnancy that make you have to come home or not be able to do what you need to do in order to make your situation work? All of that can add um, more stress uh, as an outside force. Um, we talked about, you know, having a village, a support village and, um, you know, things that we can't control like, uh, you know, fires and deaths around us or, um, you know, the news and the status of, you know, bringing a kid into a world where, uh, you know, people aren't getting along and not treating, you know, valuing human life. So I think all of that adds external forces to this kind of situation. Yeah, and I really like how it was really broad because I didn't even think about the healthcare aspect of it and that, like you said, it costs to have the talk therapy. Yeah. Every woman has health insurance to be able to cover that, you know, and so it just makes me think about the, the health disparities that Black women face, you yeah. know, with or without pregnancy, but right. Put, pregnancy in the in the picture it kind of really amplifies that and I like that you mentioned support of others because sometimes you may not always have a therapist to talk to but you right. have a support of other people whether it be friends or family co-workers that sort of thing right what what can those type of people do as a support around that person because I do hear a lot of people who know people who are pregnant and they're like, I, I want to be a support to them after the fact, because I know, you know, they may fall into the postpartum feelings. And so how can I be able to be of support to that person? I'm going to be very practical here. So I have a, a couple of women, women in my life. Um, and I just came alongside and said, okay, well, what do you need? And so I relieved this mom. Well, she works. She's a single mom. So one Saturday a month, I give her 10 hours or 12 hours while she's working just to take care of this little one she doesn't have to worry about, you know. And then I've even gone to the uh, extent of providing meals, you know, uh, literally cooking. You have food there, I will cook it. What do you want, you know? <laughs> so uh, and myself, I look for resources, right? Um, who can make some food for me and deliver it to my house? You know, make yeah. it real easy, you know? So I, I call it the Martha Stewart method, mm -hmm. right? You find others that do good, do things good and you pay them for it and um, use their resource. So, um, so. I'm going to have to use that sometime. <laughs> say it again. I'm going to have to use that sometime. The Martha yes. 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 And when your family calls and says, well, how are you doing? You know, the honesty. I'm not doing well. I need this. Are you out shopping today? Can you get that for me? And I can, you know, I can cash app you, you know, I can, I can give you the money that I need, but just kind of taking some of those loads off. That's easy stuff. You know, uh, I got to go out and get my groceries anyway. Well, what if, what if I help with the steps and have it delivered instead? Um, so those are just, um, um, some ways I that's think as a community, we can uh, say yes, again. That's no, that's amazing. That's, <laughs> that's my grandma say, bless your heart. <laughs> for, for being able to, to ask, what do you need? Because, you know, as black women, we don't always say up front, what do we need? You know, somebody has to literally ask us, what do you need? And you then know? we still won't answer, but the list is long. And so I think if we recognize our own humanness and say, you know what, I'm going to act like I'm Korean, right? And they care <laughs> in the Korean, uh, you know, culture, they recognize, right? Mm -hmm. This as being a very vulnerable period. Yeah. And so if I, if I get myself educated about it and say, you know, I need to take care of myself. I'm a caregiver. Yeah. And so whatever it is that I got to do to take care of myself is important. Mm hmm uh, and so if that means other people need to come and, and do a part of that, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on that. Yeah. So my, my last question is before we wrap this up, because this is when myself asked, but my, my last question is 
I would love to know your professional opinion on a societal level, because, you know, there's a lot of things going on with women's reproductive rights and, and how, you know, a lot of things have been happening kind of in the backwards direction, if you will. And so I would like to know kind of your thoughts on how, from a societal standpoint, what I, in a perfect world, of course, can be done to support women to kind of make that postpartum a lot less stressful because I know I hear people throw out like maternity leave and, and, and stuff like that. What would you suggest that, you know, as far as a, a structural societal support of, of women in that regard? I think if it was uh, standardized, if lead, if leave, sorry, not lead, if leave was standardized um, and it didn't depend on what company you worked for, I think our women, our mothers, uh, would be in a healthier state. And, you know, in terms of the baby's health, you know, breastfeeding and all of that, all the things that we say are good for babies and good for families, I think all of that would fall into place. But because we have, uh, you know, capitalism that kind of rules, you know, everybody's just kind of left to their own, um, you know, their own job. And, and whatever, you know, you have railroad people working, asking for sick time, you know, otherwise they can't get paid, you know. So we just need to recognize the importance of um, mothers, you know, we, you know, if Roe v. Wade is what it is, then we've got to, on the back end, take care of people. We can't just, you know, demand that kids are born, but not be supportive. So that's exactly. what I would say. Yeah. standardized uh, leave for mothers in this period of time. Exactly. And I, and I couldn't agree more because like you said, mothers are important. And I'm really glad that we were able to educate our sisters on the you know signs and the symptoms and, and support. And I would love to in the future be able to have further conversations about it. Yeah. This is so loaded. I, I Before we go, I did want to mention that I, I, I heard on the back end that one of our other guests in the show today is actually your daughter who did a whole research paper on this topic. And so I'm really excited for, for about hearing from her too as well. And so you you really outdone yourself here with her. So <laughs> I appreciate you so much for uh for being with us today. So thank you, Doctor, for taking the time out with us today. And we would definitely love to have you back, of course. Yeah. And with that, we're going to a brief commercial break, and we will be right back with more to come right here on Sisters on Be More Radio. Have a passion for evangelism and a desire to showcase your faith? Transformation Film Institute offers individuals who have a distinctly Christian voice for film the unique opportunity to actually work with film professionals and learn from university professors while also working on three film projects. We are looking for actors, directors, film writers, and cinematographers. Apply for one of our redemptive film boot camps. Visit our website at www.transformfilm.com. Transformation Film Institute, a place where passion meets purpose. Hey guys, we are back right here on Sisters at Be More Radio, and we have been uh, opening a discussion about postpartum depression and how it affects our sisters after they give birth to children. And it's just how much it can take a toll on a woman mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, and we really want to be able to kind of dive into, you know, speaking and sharing with other sisters that have gone through a similar thing. And so with that, I want to bring in our first guest that has firsthand experience as well, dealing with those feelings of postpartum depression. So please give a warm sisters welcome to friend of the show, Sharon Glasgow. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Jay Rose. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. That's great. Thank you for being with us and, and being vulnerable enough to, to share with us. And so um, can you just tell us just a little bit about yourself and, and, and kind of like what even brought you to the place to where you noticed that that was kind of what you were experiencing? Yes, ma'am. So again, my name is Sharon Glasgow and um, I am a, a wife and a mother of two children. I have a, a seven year old and a five month old as well as I am a, a business owner and I am, you know, pretty active in my uh, local church. And so, you know, upon having, you know, my first and as well as my second child, I, I realized that there was something, you know, little off in, in terms of the way I typically communicate 
active, um, just enjoying life and just the life of the party. And when I was finding myself feeling a little down and out, I knew that there was something unusual. And I you know, would share that with my husband and kind of discovered that I was dealing with some postpartum depression. How old are your kids, Sharon, by the way? I have a seven-year-old son and a five-month-old daughter. All right. So you're, you're fairly recently kind of experiencing this again because you just had a baby five months ago. So that's that's really great that you're able to kind of be understanding it with yourself and say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. And I like that we're having this conversation because I'm a mom of two, too, and I, I'm married as well. And my my daughter is 10 and my son is four. But I know from what you just described as well, I had a similar thing happen to me as well with just all of those feelings that became involved when you first give birth. How when did you first kind of realize was it in the pregnancy itself or was it after the delivery where you started to kind of get those those feelings? Great question. It was the de- after the delivery. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I had two unplanned cesarean C-sections. Sec- uh, and um, a lot of times, you know, as mothers, you have this big plan to maybe have a water birth or maybe be able to, you know, give birth at home with a doula or whatever your desires are. And you find yourself being in an emergency situation where you have to have this, this surgery. And a lot of times you don't realize the mental battle or the emotions that you go through once the baby is born, you know, through a C-section. Um, it's, it almost feels like, you know, there's something uh, being taken away from you, like your heart is getting ripped out. I don't know how it feels to get your heart ripped out, um, but it feels like there is something being removed. And so I think when you do have your child um, vaginally, you have the opportunity to experience the whole euphoria of, you know, giving birth to your child. But when it comes to the the C-section aspect, there is a, there is something that happens to you mentally that you really don't um, hear being shared often. Yeah, I like that. And and it's great that you mentioned that because I I, I never went through having a C-section. I gave birth vaginally first time, first, you know, both times. And so I, now that you put it that way, really put into perspective of kind of, in a way, like you mentioned, you kind of get robbed of that opportunity in the very beginning to, you know, hold your baby when you first, you know, when it first comes out. And then I know that it's a longer recovery time for women that get C-sections versus vaginal births and, and that whole thing. In the hospital, was it was it the recovery time of getting the C-section that was kind of bringing that on, or was it more like what was your thought process that kind of kind of started that that downward spiral, if you will? You know, another great question. So, when coming from my background, I'm, like I said, been very active. I played um, sports, ran track. I was also, you know, during doing. Um, distant running and very active exercising. And so when I realized that I couldn't do those things for, you know, six to, you know, six months, maybe even nine months, they do say it could take up to a year to you for you to recover. Um, I was in the bed for like three weeks and, you know, could barely get up, needed assistance, you know, even when it came to using the restroom, you know, needing assistance to get up could really lift my uh, baby and change her or change him at the time. So I had to have, you know, my husband or my mother-in-law to help assist me during that time. So all of those flood, those floods of emotions, like I'm, (laughs) I can't do the things that I would normally do under different circumstances. So that weighed on me during that time. Mm -hmm. Did, was it, was it, did you ever have those feelings of, I don't feel like I'm a good enough mother because some a lot of women kind of struggle with that. You know, I'm not doing enough, you know, I, you know, I'm not, or or they struggle with the person that they feel like they were before they had a baby. And so sometimes those feelings kind of conflict with each other was how you were feeling. Was it was it really not just physically, but was it mentally and emotionally challenging for you to 
go on with the basics of taking care of your of your baby when you first started feeling that because some some women kind of get on autopilot and other women they just kind of mentally check out if you will the biggest emotion that i felt was hopelessness you know i felt like and you know i just feel hopeless i'm like have you lord have you forgotten me <laughs> you know i just feel like i i like you said can't produce the way i would normally um like or feel like I should be able to produce as a mother, as a wife. But I eventually I just had to say, I need help. <laughs> you know, I can't do this on my own. And, and and being able to find grace in it, it took me a while to be able to, to, to show myself grace because I'm always a doer, doer, doer and a go-getter. So that emotion of, of hopeless, feeling hopeless was the biggest definitely relate to that feeling as well because I had a, a similar feeling when I when I had my daughter I was 19 years old honestly I didn't have no business have no baby at 19 years old let's be real about it but I, I I felt that same kind of hopelessness sense because I had um I was a sophomore in college I had to temporarily drop out of school temporarily to be able to just to cope with it because I would go to class and, and I would be sick in class. And then I was, you know, my grades were starting to suffer. And so I kind of had to just put my whole life on hold just so I can deal with being pregnant. And so that in itself made me depressed and hopeless. And so I can totally relate to that feeling of like, Lord, have you forgotten me? <laughs> I know we fall down, but are we going to get back up here? So, I, so yes. And so, and I think it's really hard for a lot of black women to even admit that they're feeling depressed or feeling down because you know strong black women syndrome here where we like you said you always have to be a doer you all you don't have you feel like you can't afford to take a time and say okay let's check into how i'm feeling right now and so why do you think it's so hard for other for other especially black women to admit that you know this is really a problem if you don't you know, take care of it. You know, what I found is that stigma that you just said, a strong black woman. And so when once we dispel that we don't have to be that strong black woman, um, we can truly find our freedom and be able to get the help that we need. A lot of times different cultures, you see them as vulnerable. They're delicate and, you know, they're soft and dainty, but when it comes to us, we, we we feel like we have to be so hard and we have to, you know, put it all on our shoulders, put it on our, our back because of the stigma of we're strong black women. We hurt, but truth be told, we cry. <laughs> we're sad. You know, we need help. We can't do it all. And so just dispelling that that myth is when we can truly find the help that we need. Absolutely. And, and I think that it also starts with us being doing what we're doing here, just being open about what we've experienced, because there's a lot of women out there that truly feel like they're going through this by themselves and they don't feel comfortable with sharing that with other people. And as far as sharing goes, how were your 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 support circle? How did they respond to like how were you able to share it with them? And how was that when you did open up to them about how you were feeling? And you know what, you, you're asking some phenomenal questions because my first time around with my son, I didn't open up because I was ashamed. Um, the the person that I did open up with the most, of course, was my husband. I, you know, very thankful for him, you know, being understanding and and uh, and caring and helping me the way, the best way he could. But the second time around, with me being more aware of the lies that we kind of believe in terms of motherhood and, you know, the societal pressures that we try to, that are placed upon us, I decided to say, you know what, I'm not going to suffer in silence. And so, you know, I'm thankful again for my husband, my mother-in-law, um, some family members. I even, you know, shared this with my, with my cousin while we were sitting down for, for dinner. I, you know, was able to share, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> you know, I've gone, I've, I, I'm feeling a little depressed. I'm feeling a little um, hopeless. So I identified those feelings with people I just felt comfortable. I had my best friend 
and a few support people that I could just uh, share. Because a lot of times you may not have the opportunity to go to a counselor, but you do have people in your circle, whether it's a friend, a past, you know, a, a church member, a aunt, an uncle, somebody. So I, and I also spoke with my dad as well. And so just saying, you know what, I'm going to let go of this, this ego of um, feeling embarrassed or anything like that. I said, it happens. It's normal. So I am going to share, you know, and be I open. That. I like that you said, let go of the ego, because a lot of us, we don't want to admit it to ourselves, but we have a little bit of ego when it's, you know, sharing with other people. And so I, I and I think it's amazing that you have a support group of people who are willing to listen, who are open minded, who are, you know, empathetic to to how you're feeling and they're willing to be supportive. Uh, thank goodness for supportive husbands, because, you know, yes. it's a support that not everybody has. And so as far as like how you were able to kind of move forward, because I know it affects different women for a longer period of time. So one woman can one woman can feel it for maybe a week or two after giving birth. Some women can feel it for weeks after giving birth or months. And so how are you how are you able to kind of I don't want to say 100 percent overcome it because it's something that you still got to continuously work through but how how were you able to kind of get on the other side of it mentally the way okay having the opportunity to do it again and you know realizing my value in myself and knowing that i am important as well i made sure that i put guardrails around what i listened to what i what I saw and who I allowed to speak into my life. Um, I didn't listen to or watch the news often. I figured if there was something that I needed to know, someone would let me know. But I made sure that I didn't entertain anything that was negative, like uh, uh, reality TV shows, anything that's depressing, sad movies, um, depressing phone calls or people just pulling your energy. You're already putting enough energy and making sure that you take care, taking care of your your brand new baby as well as your um, other responsibilities. So I made sure I put guardrails in my in place. I listened to positive things. I I kept um, you know different messages on replay. I one of my favorite uh, evangelists or pastors is not only you know my pastor, but whether it's Sarah Jakes or um, anything motivational. Listen to good music, kept it going. Um, also spoke life into myself, that I am enough, that I, I'm, I am capable, I'm doing a great job. Just different things uplift me. So I, I stayed away from anything that was negative that will trigger me to a cycle of uh, further depression or sadness and stay in the, in the realm of feeding myself with things that will uplift me and keep me in a place of positivity. I really like that. I was kind of low key getting excited that you were even saying all of this because, you know, not not every woman has access to a therapist on hand. And you have just suggested a lot of things that we can be able to do on our own as far as keeping the negative out putting the positive in and people don't really understand the, the importance of what you put into your mind, what you put into your thought process, what you see, it affects your being. And so I am really, really happy that you mentioned that, that that is really important and that you speak affirmations to yourself because a lot of us don't understand the, the power of words and how we speak that on ourselves. We always talk about the power of prayer, but just the power of words in general on how that can be spoken into our life and that can be able to breed positivity. And that's great that you were able to shut out the negative, whether it be the news, uh, negative people or <laughs> negative people, just well-meaning people who just kind of are Debbie Downers. Let's just call it that. Yeah. So yeah, that you protect your energy. And because like you said, you have spent enough energy, you know, trying to take care of your baby and trying to have just a mental capacity to, you know, to take, to put one foot in front of the other. And so I just think that's just very, powerful that we can be able to speak life into ourselves and protect our own ear gate and eye gate while we still navigate those things. And so I I hate that this conversation went this 
went by this quickly, but um, I want to thank you, Sharon, for being vulnerable enough to just tell your story and to tell how you got through it. And there's so many women that need to hear that they're not alone and that they are enough and to just to take it one day at a time, you know. And so um, thank you so much for being with us and, and sharing. We love to be able to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. No problem. And so we will have a quick commercial break and we will be right back here at Sisters on Be More Radio. Keep it live. Pregnancy and birth are life-changing experiences for all mothers. But what happens to the mother emotionally can be confusing, frustrating, and lead to mental health issues like postpartum depression and the baby blues. Up to 20% of women experience a perinatal, which is the time before and after birth, mood disorder, like anxiety or depression. Black women are twice as likely to have a perinatal mood disorder and are more likely to develop postpartum depression than women of other races. This is the case largely because of the stigma and lack of awareness about mental health issues within the black community. Hormonal changes in our bodies after birth can lead to emotional and mental health issues unique to black mothers. Physical pain often intensifies these emotions and without the right support can lead to postpartum depression. The baby blues are a period of general sadness or depression that happens after giving birth, which is very normal, but it can often lead to a perinatal mood disorder like postpartum depression. Black women tend to live in communities underserved by mental health resources. This means that we need to support black mothers in our communities to help them get the treatment that they need to be the best moms they can for their new babies. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Sisters right here on Be More Radio. And as we've been talking about for the past couple minutes, we have been discussing the topic of postpartum depression and how that affects our sisters when they have new babies and becomes new moms. And, and just so we can be able to just to have a safe space to be able to to share and to be able to be able to have some type of camaraderie with each other during such a difficult time for a lot of mothers. And so one of uh, one of our uh, one of my other guests, or not guests, but one of our other uh, people that we have been working really closely with on this show has been uh, really, really passionate about this. And, and I'm really happy to work alongside her doing this particular show. And so I want to uh, bring on one of our producers, uh, Brianna. How are you? How are, are you there? How you doing? Brianna, yes. Hey. Yes. Great today. I was truly inspired by your conversation with her. Like it was so so amazing. Yes, and I and I appreciate your work too, as far as being able to to bring this to life and be able to give a voice to those who who really struggle with that to be able to potentially help someone else. And so, yes, I appreciate you so much for for working with us on this. Thank you. But, you know, I couldn't have done it without another sister I want to bring on to this panel is Olivia Daniel. Hello. Thank you hey, for having Olivia. me. I'm doing great, Rihanna. Well, the reason why I'm so glad to be with here, be here with you today is because of your phenomenally written paper titled Comparative Study of the Postpartum Care Systems in the U.S. and South Korea. Olivia, will you please share what inspired you to write this research paper? Yeah, no problem. So this, I'm a university student at the um, University of Michigan. And this year I was in a program uh, focused on helping students do research on Korea. Um, so I was inspired to write about postpartum care uh, solely because um, women's health has been something that has always been important to me. And when I was researching for my topic uh, at the beginning of the year, back in September, um, mm -hmm. I stumbled onto the South Korean postpartum care system, um, which is titled 
sound who Jordi wants. Uh, but um, and I found them really impressive. Um, and I thought that um, the system that they have in South Korea is very different from anything I experienced. So I thought that I was inspired to compare it to kind of the postpartum care we have here and maybe see if we can learn any lessons um, from the South Korean system and maybe implement some changes here. Okay. So what specific changes do you wish the U.S. could adapt to um, from what you learned in South Korea? Yeah, so um, so the South Korean system uh, called the Sanhu Jodiwans, which basically transmitted means postpartum care facility. Um, so in the system, like women will give birth in the hospitals and then they will stay in these postpartum care uh, facilities for about two to three weeks after birth and they will rest. That's all they will do. They won't... Um, they just eat, rest. Um, they won't even like take care of their babies. There are nurses there to like do that hard work for them so that they can recover fully. Um, so I thought that when I learned about that, it's very different from the kind of system we have here. Uh, most uh, new mothers uh, for postpartum care, they kind of have to do it. They do it at home uh, by themselves uh, and they don't really have much help from like nurses or doctors during that time. So I thought that maybe <clears throat> we could take um, some inspiration from the postpartum care facilities in South Korea and uh, focus more here on prioritizing that, that women need uh, support during that time, um, that they shouldn't, they shouldn't spend it like in solitude a lot of the time, that they just need a lot of support. So that was what I wanted uh, to change uh, based on the systems I found in South Korea. Okay. Well, I I incredibly love that. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what did you find most interesting? Because I realized in your paper, you mentioned that new mothers receive carrots to rejuvenate themselves, you know, after childbirth. However, how is it very common for mothers expecting a child to experience postpartum symptoms? Um, so it is pretty common. I think that has been increasing, uh, not just in South Korea, but mostly everywhere. I did run, when I was doing research, I ran into a lot of studies um, trying to see if like the care they do in the postpartum care facilities, like has any effect on postpartum depression. So it's something that they consider really important. And there were multiple studies I found that did show that um, the care they do really does help women who have postpartum depression and helps relieve some of their symptoms and like prevent um, the like emotional effects from lasting as long. Yeah, so that was what I found about postpartum depression. I also found it interesting that you mentioned women. However, we as black women, how do you think we, what care we should receive in America? Well, I think hopefully the goal is what I want <laughs> is that for us, all women, but especially us, just because um, the disparities that are present, like in our country, we feel like two, like twice as much almost. Um, so I just I wanted um, like black women specifically to have enough like security and um, like have the ability to take that time after giving birth to really rest and take care of themselves because um, it's going to, it's very hard for, you know, new mothers to be the best mothers that they can be if they don't recover fully. And uh, the birthing process is very traumatic. So, um, yeah. Okay. Now in your paper, you also mentioned that you plan to implement a national pay leave for all women in the US. What would that process look like for us? Um, so uh, I mentioned in my paper um, that the like, you think, so like the national movement on this, like Congress and stuff has been very slow. Mm -hmm. It's not really a priority. So I think when I was writing this paper and like making my recommendations, I thought that there was this was something we could really expand on like statewide. Mm -hmm. um, and right now there are several organizations like Mothering Justice that are like advocating for increasing support like before pregnancy, like um, for maternity leave and things, and also like after pregnancy. Um, 
so that's what I was thinking that um, if if we increase the knowledge that women have of like how that they can how they can be the best mothers uh, that they can be by resting after giving birth, if we increase that knowledge, more women will realize that we need to advocate for this and really push for it, and then we can make change. I completely agree with you. One last thing: when you mentioned the Roe versus Wade case in your paper, how do you? How did that make you feel knowing in Michigan we voted on Proposal 3? Oh, it made me feel really great. Um, so I think after like Roe v. Wade was overturned, I found it really shocking because, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like there was more important things we need to worry about in this country than like rolling back cases that have been um, that have guaranteed rights for women for like decades. Um, so I was really devastated by the overturning. But when we voted for Prop 3, um, I really advocated for it to like my friends and peers here, um, just because um, it's really important that, you know, women have freedom over our bodies and also have freedom to like healthcare because um, abortion is kind of healthcare. Um, so I found it really important. I was really relieved when it was passed. I was up, um, on election night, you know, refreshing the results page. Um, so it was really relieving to me. And I felt like um, my my health rights as a woman were secured um, for all women in this state. Um, and I hope I hope someday that we can get it uh, approved nationally again so that that can be guaranteed for all women in the country. I couldn't agree more. I feel like as a young woman as well that, you know, we should have that choice, our body, our choice. So I completely agree with that. Well, I want again, want to again, thank you for sharing your academic excellence with us today. I hope to hear more good things from you as you work towards your graduation this year as well. Okay, well, thank you, Brianna. Nice talking with you as well. I had never heard of the term postpartum depression. I had heard of the term depression before, but I had never heard of postpartum depression. And when this baby came around, it was, I was hit by a bus. And unfortunately, I want to say this in my community, I'd like to say an African American community, mental health isn't something we really talk about. So it, it would have been a bad thing for me to just flat out say, hey, I have postpartum depression, I need help. The way that we were brought up culturally, we were built to be strong, we were built to be survivors, we were pretty much built to take care of our own entire family. So when we show a sign of weakness, that's exactly what it is, you're weak. I begged her not to say anything. Like I swore her to secrecy that she wouldn't say anything. But it was then that she said, Shawnee, we need to get you some help. We need to see about going to see someone. I don't care if I have to call a personal doctor friend of mine, we are going to get you some help because you need help. I think the African-American community needs to see more of me, more of other moms, more of just other people in general to understand, hey, this is something that goes on in our culture. It happens. This this isn't an isolated event that only happens with one nationality or one ethnic background. This happens to us. Hey everyone, this is your girl Jay Rose and we are back here on Sisters and Be More Radio and I'm here with our producer Brianna Thompson. Uh, as we wrap up uh, this show about postpartum depression, I really, Brianna, enjoyed your conversation with Olivia, especially when she talked about getting rest because I remember having my son and I went back to work two weeks after having him. And so it was ridiculous because I didn't want to miss a pay period, right? And so... I just think that it was very powerful, you know, who we were able to connect with today. And also we have to continue this conversation here on sisters. This is, this went by so fast, but we have to figure out how we can be able to continue this. What do you think? 
Yes, I completely agree with you. I truly felt inspired by both ladies on the show tonight. As a young woman myself, I feel like I learned a lot about the effects of childbirth and most importantly, you know, how sacred it is. I know it's scary looking in and hearing about postpartum depression, you know, something not anyone wants to go through. But unfortunately, it's just just life. It's just the way of life. So, however, that doesn't stop me from wanting to bring in my own kids in the future into this world. And when I am ready and when that time comes, I thought about having a home birth. And I hope that those I love and, you know, those who care for me will do the same when I, you know, God forbid that I probably suffer from postpartum depression. But, you know, regardless of whatever I go through, I just know that I hope and I know that those who I love and care will be there. Absolutely. And we and we definitely need to find a way here on Sisters to be able to continue this conversation because, you know, sisters are hurting and a lot of and this doesn't just affect the woman. It affects the baby, the family, everything. And so I don't know if we if in the future we're going to have to put together some sort of sisters postpartum roundtable or hey. do a, a live audience or hey. Just, you know, get, you know, just be able just to get in front of other women that can share their experiences. So I this so this is not over. And so we're definitely going to it has to keep going. Yes, we're definitely especially maybe sometime this fall, we can be able to get something going to where we can at least go live and have a sister's round table about postpartum depression. So I'm just throwing that out there. But that would be really, really good to be able to continue the conversation that way. Uh, before we wrap, yeah, definitely. And so before we wrap up, um, we want to be able to at least give uh, sisters some sort of support, some sort of uh, something that they can be able to take a look at as far as um, how they can be able to, to get help and, and if they are struggling with that. And uh, we we came across a really great video by uh, a sister who has been a doctor, uh, went to Harvard. Her name is Dr. Tracy Marks. And uh, Brianna, can you just tell us a little bit about this video before we, we get into it? So Dr. Tracy Marks will be discussing the symptoms and treatment of postpartum depression. So I hope that, you know, you take a lot from this video and I really hope you enjoy her words. Definitely. And with that, we're going to get to that video and we're going to also be able to wrap up for today. So thank you for joining us here on Sisters right here at Be More Radio. How do we treat postpartum depression? I'm Dr. Tracy Marks, a psychiatrist, and this is part two of a series on women's mental health. The first one was on postpartum depression, what it looks like and how it harms your baby. This video is about how we treat postpartum depression. And this would be depression that occurs within four to six weeks of giving birth. What if you become depressed during your pregnancy? That's a different topic for a different day that I will cover, but this is about treatment after you've given birth, even if your depression started before you gave birth. For severe postpartum depression, there's a new medication that was recently approved by the Food and Drug Administration here in the U.S. called Zolreso. The generic name for it is Brexanolone. And it's the first drug specifically indicated for postpartum depression. It's given as an IV infusion over two and a half days or 60 hours. How depressed do you need to be to get this treatment? Probably suicidal or so dysfunctional that you're not eating or you're not sleeping and therefore you're unable to take care of your baby. In the clinical trials, the effects of the new drug were shown to work for up to a month in some women and that's just from that one infusion. It does have some serious side effects though that include excessive sedation and sudden loss of consciousness during the infusion. So because of this, it has to be given under controlled conditions and patients and doctors have to register with a monitoring system. Another option for moderate to severe depression are antidepressants. Can you take these medications while you're breastfeeding? It depends. You should always discuss this issue with your baby's pediatrician for a second opinion because there are factors that can make it a bad idea to breastfeed uh, if you're on medication. And some of these factors would be things like if your baby has a serious illness or is in the neonatal intensive care unit for any reason. Another example would be if your child was born premature. In this case, the baby's organs may not be fully developed and getting a medication through breast milk may be harmful. Most drugs pass through to breast milk. 
It's a much smaller amount than you're getting, but it's still some. And here's how that happens. This is how your breast looks on the inside. This is fat, and these are the glands that make the milk. And these are your blood vessels. These drug particles in your bloodstream move into the milk glands by diffusion. Diffusion is when particles in a concentrated environment move to a less concentrated environment. In this case, you can think of the drug as being crammed into the blood vessels with very little room to move around. The milk duct has plenty of room for the drug particles to move around and have more space. So the drug naturally moves from the crammed environment in your bloodstream over into the less cramped environment in your milk duct. Oh, oh that's much better. If you feel your baby's healthy enough to handle this drug exposure, the best choice is a medication with a shorter half-life. Drugs with a longer half-life can accumulate in the baby. Fluoxetine, also known as Prozac, has a very long half-life and has been shown in case reports to be detectable at pretty decent levels in the baby's bloodstream. I have a reference in the description of a study that talks about this. The researchers analyzed 57 studies and measured um, that measured the blood levels, and they found the preferred medications for breastfeeding were nortriptyline, paroxetine, and sertraline because these drugs did not pass through to the baby in significant quantities. Now, this study was from 2004. They didn't analyze the newer drugs like escitalopram, duloxetine, vortioxetine, which is also known as Trentelix. So, are you able to take these drugs? Are you just limited to the three in that study? The short answer is no. You and your doctor have to review your medication options. This isn't a decision that you can make alone. However, a general rule for your doctor to follow is that you should use drugs with a short half-life. The half-life is the amount of time it takes for half the drug to leave your system. Most of the antidepressants have a half-life of a day or less, and these would include medications like paroxetine, sertraline, escitalopram, bupropion. Super short half-life drugs would be venlafaxine, which is five hours, and duloxetine, which is 12 hours. A caution about these drugs, though, is because they don't hang around very long, you can experience withdrawal symptoms if you miss doses. I talk about this problem in a video I did on brain zaps and antidepressants. Fluoxetine has a half-life of four to six days, and vortioxetine has a half-life of three days. So. Those medications should be avoided if you're breastfeeding. Even though sometimes we will use lithium to treat depression, you do not want to take lithium if you're breastfeeding. Lithium passes on through to your breast milk and can be dangerous to the baby. If you do need to take lithium though, you should consider discontinuing breastfeeding. Something else you can do to lessen the effect your medication has on your baby is to time the feedings around the time when the drug reaches its highest level in your bloodstream. Let me show you what I mean by this. When you take the medication, the amount of medication in your blood spikes to a peak level, then gradually drops off as the medication is broken down. This is called the peak plasma concentration, or Cmax. The time it takes for this to happen is called the Tmax, and this can be an hour or two or several hours. If you take a drug with a short half-life, it's going to be at its lowest level just before you take your next dose of the drug. Its drug curve is going to look like this instead of this. So the best time to breastfeed would be just before you take your next dose or just after you take it. You can time your medication around your baby's sleep schedule. Now, of course, your baby is going to feed more than once a day, but if you know when your medication peaks, you can at least try and avoid nursing at that time. Any time before or after will still mean the level is less than it would be at the peak time. How will you know when your medication peaks? This information is readily available if you look up your medication on the drug company's website or on sites like drugs.com but I'll have a breastfeeding guide for you that summarizes the antidepressants that we use here in the US. And here's how you would use it. Sertraline has a Tmax of four and a half to eight and a half hours. That's a pretty wide spread. Let's assume for you that it's four and a half hours. And for this purpose, you do wanna assume the lower number. Also, we know that sertraline 
is uh, the half-life of it is 26 hours, which means that it takes 26 hours for the peak concentration to drop in half. Let's say you normally take your medication at 8 a.m. If it takes four and a half hours to peak, it will reach its highest level around 12.30. So a good time to feed your baby is just before and just after your dose. If your baby feeds every three hours, you could feed him at 8 a.m., then 11 a.m., then 2 p.m. The idea is to try and avoid feeding around 12.30 if possible. Now this is just a suggestion and it's not intended to be a prescribed schedule for you to follow rigidly. Also, if you end up feeding your baby around the peak time of your medicine, it's not a guarantee that your baby's gonna have problems, but if you can find a way to minimize the exposure, at least it's worth a try. You should always watch for signs that your baby is being affected by your medication. And some of these signs would be irritability, poor feeding, and uneasy sleep. What if you don't wanna take medication? There are therapy options, and the recommended treatments are interpersonal psychotherapy. And this may be especially effective in postpartum depression to help you transition into your new roles as a mother. There's cognitive behavior therapy, and this tends to be more helpful in people who have a lot of anxiety along with their depression. Bright light therapy uh, is also helpful for regular depression outside of pregnancy. So the assumption is that it may also be helpful in postpartum depression. Electroconvulsive therapy can be helpful for severe depression. Any medication can have side effects for you, and therapy requires a time and financial commitment. However, despite these negatives, untreated depression has negative effects on your child's development. It affects the mother-infant bond, which affects your baby's stability. Also, researchers have demonstrated negative effects that continue past the baby stage and into the toddler and young child stage. Children of depressed mothers will have more problems with anxiety. So it's definitely an issue worth addressing early. Talk to your doctor about this. You can start with your obstetrician. Many obstetricians will treat depressed mothers. It's just a matter of recognizing the problem. I hope you all enjoyed Dr. Mark's video about postpartum depression and treatment. If you would like to hear more from our sister, Dr. Mark, please visit her YouTube channel titled Dr. Tracy Marks. If you yourself are struggling with postpartum depression, I highly encourage you to dial this hotline. Thank you for tuning in to Sisters as we have brought to you a special episode on postpartum depression. Thank you.